your blood runs orange and blue. Orange and blue. blue. This, this is the pod, is the for, pod you. for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. Well, it was fun while it lasted. Welcome to the Orange and Blue Blood podcast, a New York Knicks podcast on the Odyssey Network. I am your host, EJ Stewart, joined by my co-host, Tommy Beer. Tommy, we had an undefeated streak on this podcast with the New York Knicks. It's the first time we're doing a podcast after a Knicks loss. Not all that fun. Can't, I, I, I can't lie. It's been, it's been fun talking about how great things were, who's going to the All-Star game, how far can the Knicks go this season now. We're back to square one, I guess, with uh, this loss from last night. Have you canceled your tickets to the ticker tape parade down uh, the Canyon of Heroes? Oh, yeah. I, I had a great spot. I had a great spot planned out at the Canyon of Heroes. I even had a little, uh, you know, I had the cement where you could write your little thing in the cement where they're making the cement. I had my ES on my uh, on there to make sure that everybody knew where I was going to be. So I had that marker down. But now I'm going to have to slow my roll at the, at the Knicks. Today. Yeah, um, I, I guess it had to happen at some point, EJ. The Knicks were going to catch a defeat um, during the uh, s- during the airing. of We were, we were going to have to talk about a loss that was something we hadn't done um, over the last few weeks. But uh, it is what it is. I thought there were some positive things to take away, actually. Um, if you're going to lose a game, I guess uh, there could be worse ways. Um, this one was tough because it was close, but um, the yeah. fact that the Knicks fought back and and uh, made it a close game, I think, uh, speaks a lot to, uh, you know, they showed a lot of the grit and the, and the toughness that they had uh, exhibited during the success they uh, they reached during this, this streak. Yeah, definitely positive to take away from this game, from this winning streak that has now ended. Of course, this is Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, a podcast where you can get wherever you get your podcasts, including on the free Odyssey app. Wherever you do get these episodes, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you hit the auto-download feature on your app so you get these episodes whenever we drop. And make sure you give us a review. Give us five stars if you think we're a five-star pod. I think we certainly are. And give us a, a written review about what you think about these episodes. But let's get into it. So the Knicks had their eight-game win streak snapped by Toronto Wednesday night. Toronto beats the Knicks 113-106 at the Garden. Toronto was powered by a... You know, a virtuoso 52 point performance from Pascal Siak. No question. A, a great game from him. He had everything working last night. The Knicks did get a pair of 30 point performances from Julius Randle and RJ Barrett. Manuel quickly added 20 points. He was inserted into the starting lineup for an injured uh, Quinn Grimes, who's listed as day to day due to uh sprained ankle he suffered in the Warriors win and when we didn't get to talk about because we waited to do this podcast Thursday. Um, and that Warriors win, he did sprain ankle. He returned in that game but did not start uh, and did not play with the back-to-back against Toronto on Wednesday night. So quickly steps in. He has 20. Brunson had an actually rare, poor performance. Uh, he had only seven points on three of 14 shooting, and he had five turnovers. So a uh, lot to take away from in this in this game, Tommy. Uh, just, just to start, like, how do you feel the Raptors were able to snap this win streak? What do you think they did successfully to kind of uh, stop the Knicks winning ways? Yeah, I think obviously the primary talking point is Pascal Siakam. 
Um, you know, we've talked about, um, and, and everybody that covers the Knicks has discussed over the last two decades or so, this is a superstar league. The NBA is a superstar league, and the the, the, the Raptors had the best player on the floor. Um, a guy who's been an All-NBA two of the last three seasons is, is tracking towards yet another All-NBA selection. Um, f- f- tends to fly under the radar a little bit, playing up in, in Canada, um, and the Raptors haven't had much postseason success. But um, anybody that witnessed the destruction at the Garden last night can, can attest that Pascal Siakam is a legit stud. Um, you know, to put his numbers in context, uh, not only did I have 52 points, nine rebounds, seven assists, the first and only player, um, uh, actually, the, 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 there's one other player that has had at least 50 points, uh, nine rebounds, and five-plus assists in the same game um, was LeBron James back in February 2009. Those are the only wow. two players in uh, the New Garden's history, basically since, uh, you know, 1968, um, that a player's posted those numbers against the Knicks as, as a visitor. Um, so that just kind of tells you how special, um, how epic that performance from Pascal Siakam was. Um, as far as um, uh, from a Knicks perspective, two things that Knicks had done really well throughout the course of their winning streak was limit turnovers and protect the glass, uh, rebound the basketball. And, and they got bit in the butt um, on both of those ends. Um, they committed 17 turnovers against Toronto. Uh, Toronto, we should know, leads the league in, in forced turnovers, so it wasn't shocking. Uh, OG Ananobi leads the league in steals, and they have a bunch of other athletic, long defenders that clog passing lanes. And, and, and really, their kind of defensive structure um, is kind of made to stifle, you know, a penetrating smaller guard like Jalen yeah. Brunson, um, and as evidenced by his statistical uh, output or production or lack thereof. Um, uh, so that the turnovers, uh, Raptors got 21 points off 17 Knicks turnovers. That's going to kill you in a close game. Um, and the other thing is the Knicks had been uh, rebounding at a really great clip um, during their eight game win streak. I think it was above 75% rebound rate. Um, they gave up 16 offensive rebounds to Toronto um, Wednesday night at the garden. Um, so, you know, when, when you give a good enough team, uh, those opportunities and, and, and the Raptors are not only a, a talented team, they're also a desperate team. They were riding a yeah. six game losing streak, had lost, uh, you know, multiple overtime games, had a crushing loss, uh, to the nets on a Kyrie shot the other night. Um, so they just had, had, you know, had, had kind of been knocking on the door. Um, they came in. Um, the more desperate team it showed um, the Knicks riding an eight-game win streak, obviously, to have the same level of urgency, um, despite, you know, Tibbs in their ear saying, you know, wins don't matter and, you know, forget about the win streak. It's human nature um, not to, uh, to to be quite as hungry um, as as the other team. And the Raptors hadn't eaten in a while. They were they yeah. were starved, and it showed, uh, and they have a win to show for it. Yeah, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head, Tommy. I feel like... The Raptors certainly play desperate. This is not a team lacking talent. I mean, we know what Fred Van Vliet has done in this league. We know Pascal Siakam, what he has done. And, and both guys I thought were tremendous. I thought uh, Pascal, obviously, with a 52-point performance. And he's a tough cover. You know, they play him at the five. And considering where the Knicks play, they play a lot of traditional five men, whether it be Hartenstein, whether it be Mitchell Robinson, who actually got some time on Pascal. That that's Those are matchups that Pascal's going to eat. And if you switch him onto a smaller guy, uh, it kind of leaves you kind of now in a mismatch position. Some of those other guys they have on that team, though, uh, Scotty Barnes, I don't know what his deal is. I mean, he had a great rookie season. He he is, I don't want to say struggled mightily, but I know a lot of people who follow the Raptors have been disappointed in his performance this year. And last night, or Wednesday night rather, just did not have it at all. 
I was I was shocked by by his play. He seemed you know hesitant to shoot. Clyde brought it up a couple of times. Wasn't yeah. even looking at the rim um, when he got close to the basket. I, he he was he looked like he was on the path. Obviously, one rookie of the year, but he wasn't just that he won rookie of the year. He was playing at an incredibly high level as yeah. a rookie, um, and and really you know was one of those guys that you know uh, to the point where you know when when the Durant rumors came up. Uh, you know, Raptor fans were like, yeah, we'd love Kevin Durant. It'd be awesome to have a guy that, that could help us win a championship. But, it, you know, uh, Scotty Barnes is so good that, he, you know, he just he wouldn't even be considered in the conversation. Um, uh, Josh Lundberg, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, one of the NBA uh, beat reporters for the Raptors, um, tweeted that this last night. Scotty Barnes um, was a team worst minus 16 um, in a game the Raptors yeah. won by seven. He's had a negative plus minus in each of his last nine games and 11 of the last 12. He's minus 84 over that stretch. Nobody else in the team is worse than minus 41. So um, good point. I, I actually meant to, to discuss that today. I was, I was, cause I don't, I don't, I don't watch too many Raptors games, you know, yeah. you know, from, from start to finish um, a team. I like to keep an eye on um, because I'm a big Fred Van Viet fan. Um, but yeah, Scotty Barnes just, uh, just looked like uh, not himself. It was weird. Yeah, yeah, he's he's had a, a little bit of an up and down season, and and we certainly saw uh, some struggle in that game. But I thought Van Vliet really picked him up. He had some big threes, and to me, I thought this game turned in two key parts. We can talk about the first half, but it's the first half. You know, teams make runs, so Knicks made a run. They got uh, not only did they come back, they actually took the lead in the third quarter. I thought they had a, a poor end to the third quarter and a poor start to the fourth quarter, and a lot of that came from, uh, like you mentioned, offensive rebounds. Uh, turnovers, um, defense slipped a little bit, and the Raptors were able to retake the lead in the third and then get the lead back up to double digits in the fourth because of how they started those those periods. Now, they had chances late, and they had a couple of plays. Um, I, I'm still thinking about that RJ drive right where he, he gets, you know, clobbered by OG. There's no call. I'm thinking about the quickly travel, you know, a, a big play there where Knicks are up one, and you think, okay, they get a three here. Maybe they kind of bury them, and uh, Randall is pushing the ball. He gets it quickly and quickly moves too fast and he travels. But to me, those, those, besides Pascal's performance and Fred Van Vliet, I thought the way the Raptors just out hustled and just outworked the Knicks to end the third and start the fourth were key. Some of that you got to put on the fact that it was a back to back for the Knicks. Knicks are riding um, a, a, a you know, eight game running streak and you had no Quentin Grimes out there. So they're playing a bit shorthanded. So not surprising, but I thought that those were the keys to the Raptors win and the Knicks uh, having their win streak snapped. Uh, a couple things on the Barrett play. Um, Could have got a foul called. I, I try. I try not to focus too much on the refs. Um, you know, they had forty-eight other, you know, forty-seven other minutes to to, to mm-hmm. kind of make up for it. Um, I thought he did a good job in the first half. He had, you know, he scored plenty of points and kept the Knicks in it by his production. But I forced some pass, you know, forced some shots. Um, you know, made some careless turnovers. Um, for me, Barrett's at his best, and he's slowly but surely improving on this, is when he drives into the lane and doesn't just put his head down and either get fouled or shoot. You know, that that tends to be either, you know, um, he's not, not converting a great percentage in and around the rim, but he does get to the free throw line a decent percentage. I like him attacking the basket as opposed to settling for threes. Um, so there's positive there, but I'd love to see him keep his head up a little more often and look for perim- perimeter shooters. They didn't have Grimes tonight, but IQ was was on the floor with him. He could have kicked it out to him. Brunson's been knocking down his three-pointers. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of the evolution in in, um, 
in Barrett's game, and, and we'll see it over this next, you know, this the, the final 50 or so games of the year. Um, and, and throughout his career, um, we've seen Grimes already improve on that. Um, when you, you know, I think RJ has a, has a tendency to just put his head down and drive and, you know, either get to line or, or get a shot up. I'd love to see him keep his head up a little bit more and, and, and look for open shooters. Um, on the... IQ turnover. I agree with you. That could have been, um, you know, the turning point in the game. Um, yeah. I don't want to put it all on quickly because I thought Randall did it just, you know, passed it to him in front of the three points. It was line. kind of an awkward, it was an awkward kind of It was yeah, an awkward handoff. That, and I, I think IQ was getting right, ready yeah. to shoot a three, but Randall left the ball on the floor inside the three point line. So IQ had to grab it and take a dribble back. And I, I think that caused the walk. And obviously, um, the one thing you didn't mention, um, but the, the Randall miss at the, at, at the, hoop, yes. uh, in the last minute. To his credit, um, Randall, 30 points, 13 rebounds, was 13 of 13 inside the arc and only missed three pointers the entire game up to that point um and then but then yeah just an inexcusable ball slipped out of his hand um that's a that's a, that, that that was a tough but to, to airball layup uh, for someone as talented and strong as randall is certainly frustrating um but like you said um these are the kind of things that happen sometimes you get breaks to go your way nicks had benefited from other star players being out that they had played against this time they played without grimes it happens yep. it's part and parcel of the nba um you know if you want to look at the big picture nicks have won eight of their last nine um obviously you know you know got a lot of victories in their pocket that they're going to need four games above 500 as we kind of progress towards the second half of the season. Um, so, uh, you know, I guess if you want to look at the big picture, that's one way to, to kind of you know, put it in perspective. Yeah. And Randall, he had a, he had, not only was it that missed shot at the rim, he also like on that drive where RJ clearly got fouled in my opinion. Uh, he also, the ball went right through his hands on, on that same play. And it kind of led to a fast break going the other way for everybody gets a back break three. Yep. And now you're down four in a position where you look like you were at least going to go to the line or Randall, maybe you could have scored with the ball. They kind of landed right in his hands and then just slipped right through his legs and let Randall was also in Randall was also in drop coverage on that Van Vliet three. And that's oh yeah, that's, that's hurt the next time and again this season and then it came back to to bite yeah. him in the butt that uh, on that shot. And I would do and that was a crushing three as well. I do want to give Randall some credit because I thought the second time around him and quickly covered that so much better and Van Vliet shot an air ball. Yep. Um, yep. But you're right, the Knicks had great momentum and Van, you know, you know, Randall. He has these moments where he kind of just falls asleep on defense. He's been a lot better of late, especially during this winning streak. But that was a bad time there. He's, you know, seven feet off of Van Fleet, who can shoot from 30 feet out. And, and you know, as soon as uh, the shot goes up, quickly kind of looking at Randall like, dude, you, you know you got to be up on that. So credit that they next play, they did card that much better. And uh, the Raptors, I think, saw that Randall was going to be someone they could exploit in pick and roll situations. And, um that one play was a huge one and him being so far back and drop, not, not paying attention to the scouting report there hurt the Knicks, but he did have a phenomenal game again. Um, I thought, I thought his effort on the glass kind of helped them come back as well. Cause I don't know how many fouls he drew just by just mauling guys around the basket and just going after the ball. So he, he played extremely hard. So I definitely don't want to bang on Randall. And um, the one thing about RJ too, what I like what I'm seeing from him, when you talk about those drives, and I've mentioned it a bunch this season, where I feel like he drives without a plan. Like he drives just saying, I'm just going to run in there, and you know, and he says, oh, I'm just going to go up. And he doesn't kind of think what happens if defense does this or that. What I've seen him do, and usually I see him do this when he starts to really start to pick it up and go on a hot streak, is I see him either keep his dribble in the paint or pivot in the paint and then do a little pirouette and kind of go back towards the middle of the basket. And he got a couple of easy layups, easy floaters on that, a couple of easy passes on that. 
when RJ is keeping his head up and he goes to the basket, not just with, you know, kind of a wild, reckless abandon, but he's kind of piercing what the defense is giving him. He has the tools to be a very, very good offensive player. I mean, we saw last night, I, I didn't think Toronto could guard him. I mean, and that's a really good defensive team regarding the kind of the amount of long, aggressive, strong wings. I mean, OG on a newbie is as good as it gets defensively. And RJ at 30. So, like, it, it, you see these these gains from him, and you say, okay, you know, why why can't he do this to start a season? But it gives you hope that maybe there is a little bit of a, of a, a turnaround happening with him. And I don't even know if you can call it a turnaround. I mean, you know, this is a, a long stretch here where he's played really well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, Tom? Over his last um, seven games, he's averaging 24.9 points, 5.4 rebounds, shooting 48% from the floor and 39% from deep. So that's that's as, as good as you can you can ask for from, from Barrett. Yeah. The one thing I thought that annoyed me in this game from a, a coaching standpoint, and I, I know I'm the guy who bangs on Tibbs, but I, I don't care because these are the games. <laughs> My thing is I'm watching the games are being played. These are games that you're coaching. And uh, one, the timeout management seemed very odd. Uh, he called a terrible timeout after the team, to their fault, didn't realize he wanted the timeout. Then he, he called it late with 11 seconds left on the shot clock and left them with one timeout left for the rest of the game. And then after, I believe, the Van Vliet three, he called their final timeout with about a minute and 40 seconds left. And there were points in the game where the Knicks fouled late when they weren't supposed to foul. And there was clearly you know miscommunication issues that happened where if you have a timeout or two, Maybe those things don't happen. So I thought his timeout management was bad. And uh, Hardenstein over Mitch, I didn't under get, understand either. I know he, in the post game he said, well, Mitch got kicked and he was limping around. And then we went on a run with Hardenstein, so I just kept him out there. But Hardenstein had nothing to do with the Knicks going on that run to come back. Nothing. Uh, Hardenstein was awful last night. So there was a couple – there was one – office rebound where he's just like it's like his feet were in cement <laughs> like 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 went right to him and he just didn't move and it, and like it's a back to again it's a back to back he actually played more minutes the previous night than he normally does because there was such a it was such a blowout so i think he was gassed I, I didn't understand why mitch wasn't in the game late especially with the way toronto was able to attack the attack the basket and attack the, the, the office of glass so i thought tibbs didn't necessarily coach his best game at all I and mean, that was a factor in this loss Good point on the Tibbs timeout issues. It's funny, you know, I was thinking he actually got bailed out by the fact that it wasn't a one possession game down the stretch. Yep. You know, if they had if they had needed the foul and, you know, cut it to two or cut it to three or cut it to one and advance the ball from their own baseline to half court a couple of times, they didn't have those timeouts to play with. Um, and yep. it would have been talked about a lot more, his poor usage of the timeouts. Um, so in a way, he kind of got let off the hook by them losing by, you know, you know multiple possessions uh, late in the game. It didn't come out to, a, you know, where they needed to drop a play, um, you know, with, with uh, you know, 10 seconds left, 20 seconds left, whatever the case might be. Um, so, so good point on that. On the one issue with um, Hartenstein, I'm assuming that – it was because Mitch got hit. He went out for a rebound. I think it was like with six or seven minutes left yeah. um, and got hit in a place you don't want to get hit in um, okay. and, and kind of limp back to the bench. So I'm assuming that he just wasn't physically able to go, um, you know, wasn't able to, to um, complete the game and, and go back in the game. Because if not, I agree with you. Um, Hart, that That's not a, a team against which Hardenstein is going to have success. Um, and, and he didn't. 
Uh, he played 23 minutes last night, missed four of his five field goal attempts, um, was a minus 16 uh, in his 23 minutes. That's that's the worst on the Knicks last night. So um, there were, you know, we saw the night before with his outlet passing and we've seen some other stuff. Um, but if the Knicks aren't using him kind of as a facilitator um, at the top of the key offensively, he's, you know, his, his offensive production is going to be limited. Um, he has not knocked down three pointers this season. Um, you know, I, I know that the, the front office was hoping that fans were hoping that he'd kind of show um, you know, that the promise that he showed at the end of last season as a clipper, yeah. um, that hasn't been the case thus far this season. So, um, you know, uh, to his credit, Tibbs has been, um, you know, maybe it's the, uh, maybe it's the, the sort of Damocles hanging over him, knowing that his job is on the line. Maybe it's the front office telling him you need to play, you know, the younger guys or, you know, get McBride in the lineup, whatever the case might be. Um, I could see Sims taking Hardenstein's spot in the rotation. Um, although Sims didn't have a great night last night either. Um, you know, once the team gets back fully healthy and Obi's back in the mix, et cetera. Um, but, uh, I'm personally a believer in Hardenstein. I, I, I know that, that uh, you have, uh, you know, higher hopes for him as well. So we'll see, you know, if he can start improving, you know, we, it was talk that he was dealing with Achilles injury. Maybe he's not quite a hundred percent. So we'll see how that plays out, but that's something to keep an eye on going forward. Yeah, no, good points on all of that for sure. And then one last thing. We see Pascal going crazy, and I, you know, multiple people were going to ask the question, and so I got to ask it. I mean, you know, is Cam just on ice? I mean, you know, Cam Reddish, you would think, would be the body that would make sense to throw at him just to see if somebody else can guard him. And um, Cam didn't play at all. Derrick Rose took it, took the spot in the rotation that was left by Quentin Grimes. Thank God Tibbs didn't go to eight-man rotation, which is what he was talking yeah, yeah. about. I'm like, how you going to go eight-man rotation after a back-to-back? Like, that would have been insane. Crazy. So Rose took that spot. He got a great standing ovation, which was nice to see. But uh, was not going to not going to Cam there a mistake? Or do you just kind of assume what I assume is that I just don't think he's going to play until he gets traded? Yeah, I, I think that's that's probably the case. Um, you know, if the if looking back, Tibbs probably would have said, you know, I, I probably would have adjusted. Um, I, I obviously, you know, your, your game plan for against uh, Siakam, he's the best player, but I don't think you can expect anybody to go for you hang a fifty burger on you. Yeah. Um. So yeah, listen, I, I think if you know if they were going to play the Raptors on Friday, you know, like some back to back type stuff, um, I think you might see Siakam, you know, instead of Rose as the ninth guy, um, just a throw body at him because it can't hurt but to me it's just one of those games where i you know no matter who you put out there um siakam was going to eat you know he was you know he was getting to get the lines 18 free throws and he got you know so it, it, he was just hitting jump shots and and you know didn't even really have to rely on the three he can knock down a three didn't really need it because he was scoring inside outside mid-range jumpers um so uh you know could could it wouldn't have hurt to put cam on him but i'm not sure it would have made a difference no yeah I, I, I agree with that as well so nicks lose uh one 13 106 winning streak snapped um but there was earlier news before the game that also uh created headlines so the nba announced it concluded its investigation into the knicks signing of jalen brunson the league found the knicks did engage in conversation with brunson and his camp prior to the beginning of free agency and has decided to rescind a 2025 second round pick the nba says the knicks fully cooperated with the investigation Brunson is having a career year in his first season in New York, averaging 20.4 points, 6.3 assists. He signed a four-year, $104 million contract with the Knicks this summer. Now, you look at the Knicks losing a 2025 second-round pick, and you say, whoop-de-doo, I guess. I don't know what to make of that in terms of being a, a real punishment for the Knicks with the way Brunson has played this season. I think they're totally fine with losing a second-round pick. So it leads me to ask, like, 
is the NBA effectively enforcing tampering rules if like these are the penalties that you get for it? Because I mean, a 2025 pick for a team that has a million of them, I think I saw they have like 11 in the next like seven years or something crazy. Like that, that's nothing for Leon Rose. Yeah, of course not. I, I, absolutely not. Listen, if it was a marginal player that they would have had to sign, you know, maybe if it's the, you know, if it's uh, it's Hardenstein, yeah. if it's Hardenstein, you know, you still do it. You know, if it's yeah. Pollock, maybe, you know, yeah. maybe you consider I'll sign somebody else and I don't have to, you know, waste, <laughs> right. waste two hours on my on my on my Tuesday meeting with with Leon Rose. I don't feel like going to the city. You know, it's raining. Um, but but other than that, I mean, listen, if, if the Knicks are going to give up a second round pick a few years from now um, for a guy that's, you know, Turned around the franchise essentially in his first two months um, with yeah. the team. Um, it, it, it's it's a no brainer. So yeah, my my first take is that it's it, it's BS that they even got dinged the second rounder because either you're going to enforce a rule or you're not. You know, in other words, the Knicks are the only team that tamper. You know, the, and the Sixers lost the second round pick too. But those are the only. You know, of, of the thirty teams in the league, those are the only two teams that that you know when when you know. When free agency starts and the first five minutes of free agency, Woj tweets out seven deals, you know, <laughs> a, a billion dollars worth of contracts that have been agreed to with you know, pay structure, no trade clauses. These things are all agreed upon. You know, they met, they shook hands with the agent, and then they discussed it in 30 seconds, and then they came to this agreement. Of course not. These things are all, you know, hashed out weeks and months and years ahead of time. Um, you know, especially with Brunson, the guy's father is an employee of the team. Is he going to have dinner with his dad and not say, hey, Pop, you know, what should I do with you know, I'm going to make the biggest decision of my life. You know, let's not talk about it for the next two hours yeah, exactly. uh, over sushi. So it's just the whole thing's ridiculous. Um, I, this is the way, you know, the, the league's way of. Kind of, I'm sure Mark Cuban and the, the Mavs went to him and said, "Hey, this is ridiculous. You know, it's clearly something going on, and they had to do something. You know, so they'll, you know, they they they, they the mock gesture of, you know, we'll give we'll ding them a second round pick as if that's going to impact, you know, the in any way, shape, or form the Knicks or any team's behavior is ridiculous. Um, so, uh, you know, again, either you're going to force the rule, you're not. Don't do it selectively, and two. If you're going to do it and you want to curb the behavior, um, don't make it more uh, prohibitive than, than a second round pick. Um, you know, from the Knicks perspective, again, if they trade all their second round picks for the chance to sign Jalen Bronson. So um, no brainer on their end. Yeah. And to me, like when I think about this rule, like to me, the tampering rule in principle, I understand you don't want players on other teams uh, being contacted by teams while they're under contract. I don't think anybody can disagree with that. But is this really the spirit of the tampering rule? A guy whose contract is about to expire and he's about to be a free agent and the team that thought that 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 had a chance to get him that was had a chance to sign him isn't going to resign him or is offered them a deal that he's not willing to accept and then another team reached out and said, "Well, you're about to be a free agent in a day or even a week. I don't really care. Uh here's the deal we're willing to offer you." Like is that really in the in the spirit of tampering, the whole idea of, of 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 stopping tampering is to stop guys, you know, being influenced while they're on a team mid season, or guys who are, you know, who maybe have two three years under under contract. Let's say if like uh, it's uh, this is not this did not happen. Let's say if the Suns or the Heat reached out to Kevin Durant's camp uh, during his whole trade fiasco, saying that I want to be traded, and he said, and they said. Uh, wait, you know, we really like you. Maybe you should say that we're one of your preferred destinations. I think everybody could agree. Okay, that's tampering. That should not be allowed. But right. this, 
you're about to be a free agent thing like that doesn't make that doesn't make any sense like i don't know why this keeps getting enforced like who cares nobody does right agreed agreed yeah i mean yeah just to to your point um you know if a guy has years left on his contract i maybe that they want to you know where the the month before the start of free agency anyone that's a pending free agent can have a discussion something along those lines but either way they need to make up their mind one way or the other yeah and like you said it's it's uneven enforcement because there are other teams very clearly tampering. It's, yep. it's very clear. I mean, if, you know, if even during the draft when Woj can say, hey, you know, this team and this team and that team is interested in this free agent. How do we think we how do you think he knows that? How do you think he knows that those that player may be interested in those teams? Clearly, because there are conversations being had. Yep. So that's happening a week or two weeks before the uh, free agency is even happening. He's on ESPN on the on on, on the draft telling you what free agents are going to go where and who who this guy's interested in and what team this guy's interested in. So if you're going to enforce a rule, enforce a rule. But if if you're not, stop with this nonsense. And 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 again, this does not meet the spirit of what you mean when you say we can't have tampering in our league. Guys were negotiating with free agents isn't the same as you know uh, negotiating or get in contact with a player who's already on another team or like Matty Johnson uh, years ago when he's on like Jimmy Fallon or whatever he was, I think it was Kimmel actually. And he talked about Paul George and he's, he's, he's winking into the camera. <laughs> Paul George is a member of the Pacers. Like, yes, that's clearly tampering. You don't want that. But right. this or, is totally or, different. Or when a guy has the option to exercise a player option or something along those lines. And another right. team tells him, listen, opt out and we'll, we'll guarantee you this much. Something exactly. along those lines. But this is not that situation. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I know they're in the CBA negotiation now. I have no idea if this is going to be something that gets brought up. I doubt it because it seems like the NBA seems actually looking to be even more stringent with like player movement and 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 player power essentially. So I, I can't imagine this becomes a thing. But this is something that should be discussed because this is getting right. ridiculous. Agreed. Um. So the Knicks did lose a second round pick in this. But one thing I did want to ask you, Tommy, Tommy, because I talked about this on WFAN last week, talking about Jalen Brunson in the season that he's had, you know, you know, last night with, uh, with outstanding, he's had a phenomenal season. And I kind of went back and went through all the Nick free agent signings. And there was a lot of pain, a lot of misery going through a lot of these Nick free agent signings. I'm seeing Jerome James. I'm seeing Jared, uh, Jared Jeffries. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing Ramon Sessions. I'm seeing a lot of names. I'm just like, oh, God, hi, my eyes. But I'm scrolling through because I'm like, who was the last great Knicks signing that I could compare to Jalen Brunson? And I scrolled all the way down, and I found Allen Houston in 1996. He came to the Knicks along with Charlie Ward for the 96 – excuse me, uh, 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 Chris Childs, sorry, for the 96-97 season. Those were the Knicks free agent acquisitions that offseason. And I felt like – Jalen Brunson to me looked like the best Knicks signing since Allen Houston in 96. Do you agree or disagree with that thought? Yeah, I think it's definitely in the conversation. I mean, obviously the caveat is we're 32 games into this yep. thing. Um, so let's see him win a playoff game or make it to the playoffs or, or win a playing game um, before we anoint him too much. Um, but yeah, it's certainly on that trajectory. 
Um, and sadly, I think it speaks to the fact that his competition, you know, is is Eddie Curry um, yeah. and, and, and Joakim Noah for 72 million for 10 games. Oh, um, you know, so that that kind of speaks to the, the history there. Um, as far as the best free agent signings in team history, you know, I think Starks and Mason in the early 90s guys yeah, that they kind of plucked sure. out of the CBA and, and USBL um, are certainly near the top of the top of the list. Um, J.R. Smith was a was a good was a good signing when they inked him back in 2000. 2012. Um, you know, he was coming out of China and just kind of re resurrected his career um, in New York. Um, so yeah, but but outside of that, um, you know, um, definitely Alan Houston, I think, is is near the very top of the list. Larry Johnson was a good signing, thinking back on it. Yeah. Um, so uh, but yeah, I, I think Houston in terms of production, um, playoff production, regular season, all-star campaigns, um, and obviously helping the Knicks get to the 1999 finals. Um, is is right near the very top of the list. So hopefully, uh, JB continues to trend in the right direction, and uh, we're looking back on this, you know, four, five, six, eight years from now, and saying, um, you know, Brunson was the guy who arrived, set the stage, enabled that next guy to come, um, which is uh, a little bit of a uh, we'll uh, tease a little bit of our next segment. There could it be uh, one of the next superstars that demands a trade? Um, you know, it's probably more likely that they'll want to arrive um, now that the Knicks have a, a stud point guard um, on the roster. So we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. And by the way, I feel like Alan Houston, one of the more underrated Knicks in history, I feel like, because we think about that he came in as a free agent. Um, first year, actually, he wasn't that great in New York. And he kind of stuck with it and led the team to the conference, uh, to a, a conference championship and then, uh, you know, a conference championship appearance along with that finals appearance and multiple All-Star games. Um, one of my favorite Knicks. And, and you know, for me, because I was so young during the, you know, the kind of Ewing era Knicks of the 90s. Those 90s Knicks teams are actually my teams, really. You know, 98 to 2000 are like the teams that really form formulated my Knicks fandom as an eight, nine-year-old growing up in Queens. <laughs> yeah, Houston kind of gets knocked for a second contract, you know, when he, when, yeah. when he got overpaid. Um, but that shouldn't, you know, reflect harshly on the uh, uh, on his time with the Knicks. Uh, you know, his just uh, the, the beautiful form on his jump shot. Um, oh. As a kid that was that was learning how to shoot, you know, ar around that time and, you know, playing ball and pick up ball, um, spent hours, you know, just trying to get my keep my elbow in and just it, the yeah. way it's, you know, squared up the basket. Um, just a, a clinic, a literal, you know, like if you watch, a, you know, there's there's guys on Tic Tac now that, uh, you know, basically are shooting coaches and, you know, you know, yep. they, they, all the fundamentals that they'll teach. Um, you know, just save yourself some time, watch, you know, get, go to YouTube and just watch Alan Houston shoot for like an hour and, you know, just study that man's form because it's brilliant perfection. Um, just, you know, just, just incredible the, the way you, you know, like if uh, you could in, in, get in the lab and draw a six, six shooting guard, um, <laughs> Alan Houston is, is kind of what you'd create. Yeah. One day, as we continue this podcast throughout the season, I will tell you the story of how I watch Alan Houston make a hundred three-point shots in a row okay regarding shoot around so uh that's a story tease, that you guys tease. yes yes so keep make sure you guys keep listening to the orange and blue bus because i do gotta get to tell that story one day um but let's get to what tommy was just mentioning so uh what a week it's been for the knicks and what a week would it would be without trade rumors so there were more trade rumors regarding the knicks uh this thursday podcast is no different so um, this one coming from the other coast, Dan uh, Wokey of the L.A. Times. He reports that the Lakers are, quote, very intrigued by the prospect of of acquiring Quentin Grimes. But one interesting note about their interest, apparently he's hearing the, uh, the asking price from the Knicks right now 
is a first round pick. The expectation among the Lakers and other teams is that they think that uh, that that uh, asking price will drop because Cam Reddish is right now not playing and that the Knicks are trying to seek a first round pick because they gave up a first round pick to uh, to acquire Cam Reddish. So interesting note there. Also, what I thought was uh, interesting as well was Ian Bailey noted that prior to the Knicks win streak, the team reached out to Toronto uh, with interest in trading for OG Ananubi, who played against the Knicks. Uh, Wednesday night, the 25-year-old combo four is in the second year of a four-year deal. He has about $39 million coming his way. In the final two seasons of that deal, he's making about $17.5 million this season. And then finally, rather big news coming out of Bleacher Report's uh, Chris Haynes' uh, report earlier uh, uh, Thursday morning. He reports that rival execs believe Trey Young could be the next star player to seek a trade. The Hawks have struggled to a 16 and 16 record and have dealt with strife in the locker room. And before we get to the Cam and OG stuff, let's start with Trey because that that is obviously a, a big news that was 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 dropped by Chris Haynes. Uh shout out to him for his reporting on this. Would you see the Knicks being a team interested in Trey Young? And I only ask that because the strategy we've heard has been that the Knicks are waiting for some star to become available. And with the treasure trove of draft picks and young players that they have, they then want to strike uh, once that happens. They attempted that with Donovan Mitchell. That did not work. Here now, apparently, Trey Young sounds like he could be on his way to at least asking for a trade. Of course, we have to see if the Hawks would actually do a trade. They recently um, kind of fired their president. <laughs> like uh, Travis Slank got uh, demoted. Uh, he was reassigned to an advisor role. He, they, they're calling it a step down, but I, I don't know. Don't see too many guys step down from being a president to wanting to be an advisor. So I don't. I don't know what that's about. But um. But do you think Knicks could be actually interested in Trey Young, given how great Brunson has played this year at point guard? Uh, yeah, uh, as, as you note, um, former Nick uh, Landry Fields promoted to general manager um, down in yeah. Atlanta. So it looks like things are about to shake up a little bit there. We know that uh, must have been like two weeks ago or three weeks ago, uh, Young sat out a game for a Friday night that they were they were playing the Knicks the, the following night or two, or the, the following week, um, uh, two games later. Um, after a pre after an argument during shoot around with Coach Nate McMillan. Um, Basically, you know, we don't know the details, but there was clearly some animosity, some beef had boiled over um, and, and Young refused to talk about it. Nate McMillan downplayed it. Um, let's be honest, Nate, um, you may be a good coach, but, you know, you can't average, you don't, you don't average 30 and 11, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, like Trey Young's capable of putting up uh, on any given night. So um, I assume before they do anything drastic, they'll get, get rid of Nate McMillan. Maybe a new coach can, you know, get the chemistry going. Um, they're obviously in no rush to trade them. We know the NBA salary structure basically means any star player you draft, you're going to have a for the first seven, eight years of his career, um, if you want to have him, um, that can change a little bit if the player demands that I'm just, you know, Chris Porzingis reportedly told the Knicks front office, I'm going to play in Europe. I, you know, you guys either trade me at this deadline or I'm going to find my way out of here one way or the other. Um, you know, so that that can kind of rear its ugly head and make things very difficult for the front office um, uh, that, that has drafted said star. Um, so that being said, I don't expect anything major to happen, Trey Young, anytime soon, not in the next two months before the trade deadline, not next offseason. If a year from now, six, 18 months from now, 
Um, they flame out in the postseason, you know, in, in 2023. And then again in 2024, then their hand may be forced. I could see them doing something again. But you, you have a talent like Trey Young. Uh, as we know, they traded Luka Doncic to get Trey Young. Yeah. And, and Cam Reddish, um, ironically enough, um, was the second pick that they got as part of that deal. Obviously, you, you know, you want to build around this guy. He's an incredibly young, offensive genius. I mean, the, 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 he's an incredible shooter. He struggled a little bit from downtown. I'm not worried about him making shots. Sees the floor right. incredibly well. Really underrated passer. A um, little bit on the smaller side, but has been relatively durable. Um, you know, uh, he's, he's a, not a good defensive player, but in today's NBA, you can hide him a little bit. Um, so that's the kind of guy that you want to build around. As far as the Knicks are concerned, Leon Rose, I'm sure his selling point when he sat down with, with James Dolan was, listen, you've had other guys come in here and promise you they're going to bring a bring a big star to Broadway. I'm the guy that's capable of doing it. You know, I'm, I, I, I go to LeBron James birthday parties and, and me and Chris Paul hang out in Vegas. And, you know, I'm close and connected with all these dudes. I've spent my life um, developing relations with the best basketball players on the planet. Give me some time. Give me some money. Give me some draft picks. I'll figure out how to get the pieces together. Um, uh, Rose did not get it done when, you know, that 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 first uh, his first at bat, so to speak, with the Donovan Mitchell thing. Um, and, and now the Cavs are, you know, have a chance to win the East this year. They're, they're playing that well. Um, you know, uh, Mitchell having the best season of his career. Um, so. The, the the plan, but the reason the Knicks didn't, after they got Mitchell, didn't decide to, you know, basically blow the thing up and trade Randall for whatever they could get for him um, and, and start OB and, and all the kids right off the bat was because their plan now is to kind of tread water and, you know, make it look like they're on the right track while also keeping a young core of young players around and their, you know, war chest of draft picks. And then when the next superstar demands a trade, because we know it'll happen, whether it's this month, yeah. this week, next month, next summer, um, somebody's always unhappy. Um, some star is always, you know, disgruntled and the team is looking for a way out from under, you know, from, from a crippling contract, et cetera. Um, so anytime a star gets mentioned, the Knicks are going to be one of the names. I personally don't see it happening for, you know, for, for basically two. The primary reason is being that the point guard position, ironically enough, is the one position now that they seem kind of set at, um, right. you know, with the, with the backcourt of Brunson and, and, and Grimes. You know, that's kind of the backcourt of the future. Um, so I think, you know, they're content there. They have uh, Brunson, as it turns out, on a value contract at this point. Um, listen, if, if the Hawks were willing to make a deal, the Knicks have no have to listen because Trey Young is just that good. Um, yeah. You know, he has a chance to to be you know the, one of the ten best players in the NBA uh, next season. Um, what they would want would you know I, I assume they'd want you know the the full uh, you know Donovan Mitchell package plus you know, another 20%, another 30%, whatever the case might be. I don't think the Knicks would be willing to go there um, just with the relationships they have with Brunson, Rick Brunson on the bench. It would just create a completely awkward situation. So I don't expect the Knicks um, to, to kind of go all in um, as they might for some other players. I think, um, and I'm just throwing this out there, I don't have any inside information, um, that uh, we're going to be talking about Carl Anthony Towns a lot come January, February. I think he's the next guy. They got Rudy Gobert in Minnesota. That kind of marriage hasn't worked. 
Um, mm -hmm. You know, might Minnesota look to build around Anthony Edwards, um, you know, keep Ant Edwards and, you know, maybe D'Angelo Russell. We'll see how they kind of feel about him. Um, but, you know, yeah, you have your big man in Gobert and then trade Rant, uh, uh, um cat for complementary yeah. pieces that really you know you can build around ant as, as kind of your foundational cornerstone um so uh uh that being said if the hawks were willing to kind of shake up that roster if i'm the knicks i i inquire about dejounte murray i think the knicks kind of missed the chance to, to, mm. to maybe to maybe make a move on <laughs> yeah. him this summer um but again the knicks have you know a solid starting backcourt they have iq is you know coming off the bench um so it doesn't necessarily line up with what the knicks are looking for um but again anytime you have a superstar um that's that's leon rose's game plan he's going to explore and see what what it would take to get him at least yeah and cat one also a CAA guy. So when yes. when uh, Rose was hired, he was he was one of the people that were mentioned saying these are the guys that Rose would probably be looking at. It would be uh, Donovan Mitchell, Cat, and Devin Booker. And yes, and and with the uh, Timberwolves perhaps looking to recoup so many of the traffics they lost in the Gobert trade, maybe they can kind of get even in a Cat trade with the Knicks. That could definitely be interesting. Uh, the trade the trade thing is interesting um, because I listen to everything and. Trey did an interview this summer. I don't know who it was with, but he was asked, would you rather win a gold medal or play for the Knicks? And he said he'd rather play for the Knicks at some point in his career. Wow. It was a very weird, and actually I, I have it here. I can actually try to see if I can play this real quick. But um, but it was really bizarre to me because I was like, that's interesting. And he's represented by Clutch Sports. And Clutch doesn't do anything or say anything by accident. So right. I heard that, and that was very interesting to me because Clutch also orchestrated LeBron going back to Cleveland after him being a major villain there because they thought it would be a great story. So here is Trey Young talking about whether he'd rather win an Olympic gold medal in his career or play for the Knicks. All right, now you have to place a bet on this boxing match. You can only place a bet on one of the boxers. Are you going DeJounte Murray or Julius Randle? Ooh, those are both my guys. I'm, uh, I'll probably go with Julius, though. I'm a Texas kid, and he's a Texas kid, too. So uh, I'll probably go with Julius. Play for the Knicks or win an Olympic gold medal? Play for the Knicks. Anybody that knows me as close in that organization, they know I have nothing but love and respect for them. But um, I mean, that that's interesting. That's not, and that shout out to Ashley Nicole Moss. She was the one who did that interview. Um, so I assume that was SI, but forgive me if that wasn't SI. Um, that I mean, first of all, he thinks Julius Randall could beat up his boy <laughs> John T. Murray. That was a little weird. But then the second part of that, about whether or not uh, he'd rather win a gold medal play for the Knicks, he's like, oh, Knicks. I mean, I love that organization. I have a lot of respect for them, even though we have this rivalry. I, th those things aren't accents to me. Like, I, I hear those things, and I'm like, hmm, okay. And now we're here, and now they're saying Trey Young may be the next guy available, and the Knicks look like they're winning. Uh, I, 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 If he puts out a list, I guarantee you he, the Knicks will be on that list. Yep. Now – Will it happen? I don't know because, you know, this kind of running meme with Leon Rose is that he has these family ties. And, you know, will he be willing to break those ties? I think you have to trade Brunson. Like, you can't keep both him and Trey Young. So I don't know how that would work. And the, um, Hawks, would, be and, loyal? And the Hawks would want Brunson back if they were going to They have him. to have him back. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, like, so, you know, I, now would I do it? Yes. And that makes me sad because I really have grown to love Brunson in these couple of weeks. But, I mean, months rather. 
But I mean, he's Trey Young. I mean, there's no there's no conversation about whether or not you trade you know Brunson for Trey Young. It's going to be an interesting months, I think, because because I, I talked about it, I think on our last podcast that Trey Young was a guy to look at, and now here we are where where it looks like that certainly could be the case. And yeah, it, it's like I'm tired of going through this now with the whole which starts comes the next thing, and it's like just when you're you're getting uh, excited about the team you have now, here's some other guy that we're going to be talking about now for the next two three months. And you point out that that the way this kind of works usually is you get the first kind of murmurs and then it escalates if they don't kind of quell it right away. Um, mm-hmm. And then you get the list, you know, then Wolge or Shams tweets out, these are the four teams that he's willing to get traded to. Yada, yada. And I agree with you. I think New York would definitely be on that list. Um, if for no other reason, it drives up his asking price for the other exactly. teams, you know. Um, and, and just yeah, because the Knicks have the most assets. So any team that's going to get into a – uh, a, a bidding war with the Knicks is going to have to fork over a lot. So. The the Cavs wouldn't have got what they got for Donovan Mitchell from Cleveland if it weren't for the Knicks continually upping the ante in, in terms of asking price. And some Knicks fans are going to say, no, there's so much bad blood between Atlanta and Trey Young, I mean, New York and the fans. And listen, that's that goes out the window if the guy is wearing orange and blue. Exactly. Um, you mentioned Clutch getting LeBron back to Cleveland. Go back and read the letter that Dan Gilbert authored in the moments yep. after the decision. I, it, it, I just read it the other day. For some reason, somebody tweeted about it, and it is almost unbelievable <laughs> that an owner wrote that about another human being, let alone the best player in the sport, let alone a guy that you know grew up in the area, and that and that LeBron would come back and play for that owner. The whole thing is just. Uh, unbelievable that yeah. being said talent trumps all you get the you, you get the best player you make the best roster possible um so it's a no-brainer from you know that's the one thing i can tell you that's gonna that won't prevent the knicks from trading for trey young is that a few fans said you know bing bong you know trey young <laughs> trey young uh, 16 yeah. months ago so um but yeah fascinating to see how it plays out yeah and then and just last thing uh any thought on the knicks interest in og like like What'd you make of that? Like, I would love OG Ananobi. Um, yeah. the around the league, he is as respected as probably any three and D wing in the game. Um, which means his price is sky high. Um, yeah. I've heard that you know more expensive than Donovan Mitchell asking price. You know that that type of talent. Um, you know, uh, on a player that's you know that early in his career, a guy that can impact the games on both ends of the floor. Um, really exceptionally valuable. I don't see the Knicks unless unless the Raptors love RJ Barrett. And listen, he's a he's a he's a Toronto guy. He's a he's a Canada kid. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's something that that interests them. Um, you know, they want RJ and an IQ and some draft picks or something along those lines. Um, the Knicks Knicks are obviously going to listen and they're, they're doing their due diligence. Um, if, if you hear a guy like OG is a Available and you don't call, you're derelict in your duties as, as yeah. a front office executive. So I don't read too much into that. I think it's more just kicking the tires. Um, I don't expect um, uh, Messiah Jiri and the, and the Raptors front office, which is as good as any in the NBA, um, to sell low on OG just because they're unhappy or they're, they're they might not make the, the they might have to settle for a playing spot this year. Um, if they get a great value in return for him, that that that, imp- that improves the team going forward. Um, we'll see. But uh, again, would I love him on the Knicks? Absolutely. I just don't think it's going to happen if the um, Raptors were to trade him. I, I I expect the Knicks to be involved in the in the discussions, um, but probably get beaten out. Uh, Again, unless Ujiri is is in love with RJ Barrett, that's the one thing I could see that would be a difference maker from a New Yorker perspective. 
Yeah, and the Knicks got all these picks that they're going to want to use for a bigger star. So if you're talking yes. about a, a bidding war for OG, the Knicks, I don't think, should get involved with that. Um, right. Even though he is a, a very solid player. And right. getting, they're not getting the first-round pick for Cam Reddish. I mean, they, they you know, <laughs> I think that's uh, – but I think with OG and Cam, like, these are – this is them trying to fleece other teams, and that's good. Like, yes. the, the Knicks spent decades getting fleets, so it, I'm, I'm glad that the Knicks are trying to – uh, you know, see what you know what may stick with some of these other teams throwing stuff against the wall. So you, you don't think you, you don't think Barniani was worth the first rounder? Is that, is that what you're <laughs> uh, definitely, definitely not? Uh, that was I guess that was the, probably the last trade between the Knicks and the Raptors, and oh boy, was that a disaster! So yeah, let's 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 hope that maybe the Knicks can have some good fortune on the other side of a deal like that. Yeah, they owe us. Just just give us OG, man. That's the least you can do after that nonsense. (laughs) Exactly. So uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Orange and Blue Bloods. Uh, Tommy, let them know where they can find you. At Tommy Beer on Twitter. You can find me, EJ underscore two, on on Twitter, actually EJ on Instagram. And I will be hosting On The Fan Friday night, 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. to listen to me on there. That's going to do it for now. Thank you guys for checking us out. Tommy, I'm EJ. Thank you guys. Peace. Peace.